Our scripture passage this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew. Hear these words from Jesus. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow seed or harvest grain or gather crops into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? Who among you, by worrying, can add a single moment to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They don't wear themselves out with work, and they don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his splendor, wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow it's thrown in the furnace, won't God do much more for you, you people of weak faith? Therefore, don't worry and say, what are we going to eat or what are we going to drink or what are we going to wear? Gentiles long for all these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When you've been on a trip or a vacation somewhere, when's the last time you took one of those? Have you ever walked into a tourist trap or a highway side cracker barrel? and seen an animatronic talking fish, you maybe know which one I'm talking about. It's a latex-covered bass on a plastic plaque who starts singing when you press the red button. Don't worry. Be happy. It's ironic because the fish is dead and hanging on somebody's wall, but he's singing to us anyway. Don't worry. Be happy. It's pretty cheesy. But good for a light chuckle. But in terms of easing our worry, I don't think it's that great. To be fair, it's not that hard for me to be worried. I've been a natural worrier all my life. Even though my worries have shifted and changed over time, they've always been a significant driver for my decision making. Do people like me? Am I too weird? What do I want to do with the rest of my life? How is God calling me to serve? What is the shape of the church to come? Even in the day to day, I often succumb to the type of worry that Jesus talks about in this passage. What local restaurant can we try this week? What clothes fit the mood that I'm in? Where can Lisa and I escape to next weekend? What new piece of guitar gear can I buy? These aren't bad things in and of themselves, but... When I spend too much time worrying about them, I can be distracted from far more important matters. And there are far more important matters these days. 
I think it's safe to say that all of us are worried lately. There is more than enough going on in our world to occupy our minds and give us anxiety. And not superfluous things, but real serious concerns. The COVID pandemic, the economy, spending time with our loved ones again, face to face. Will we ever really get back to normal? What will normal even look like? And of course, the past few weeks have sparked and reignited worries about racism in our country. In 2020, 2020, we are still seeing racism rear its ugly and unrighteous head in our society. And some have even wondered, do we really have to keep worrying about this? Yes, we do, and rightfully so. The list of our worries goes on and on. How can we manage with so much hanging over our heads? And here is Jesus in this passage telling us not to worry. Really? Have you seen what's going on, Jesus? On the surface, Jesus' words, much like the fish's song, seem like a very small comfort for what we're experiencing lately. They might even seem totally unrelated. But as is the nature of the gospel, this passage from the word of God speaks quite clearly and boldly to our situation even now. Remember, this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' manifesto on God's realm, the kingdom of heaven, and how we are to live according to its reality. If we want to follow Jesus, we must live in this way. And this is an inclusive, all-encompassing reality. It touches all areas of our lives. So Jesus must address wealth and material needs and desires. You worry about what you might eat or what you might drink? Well, look at the birds of the sky. They don't work for their food, and yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? You worry about what clothes you'll wear? Well, look at the lilies of the field. They don't work to make themselves clothing, and they're more beautiful than any royalty could ever be. If God clothes them in so much beauty, how much more beauty has God clothed you with? Jesus invites us to look around and notice how even in the smallest details of nature, God provides and cares for creation. It's not that these worries are not real needs or unimportant for our lives, but Jesus invites us to put them in perspective and remind us what should really ground us as people of faith, not our worries, but our trust in God. Professor Emerson Powery poses it as a question. If Jesus' followers cannot trust God in even the smallest and mundane things of life, then how can they even begin to trust in God's grander activities in the world? Which is really what Jesus is getting at. God's grander activities. Pay special attention to how this teaching begins and ends. At the start of our passage, Jesus tells us we cannot serve two masters. We will either hate the one or love the other. We can't serve God and wealth. The language of masters and servitude is tricky and can be problematic for us hearing these words today. But the meaning behind these words is this. What is it we give our ultimate loyalties and allegiances to? 
What do we ultimately orient our attention in our lives around that guides all of our decisions and values? Jesus tells us that we cannot be guided by two opposing things. We must give our loyalties and our devotion completely to God. Wealth is the example here, but Jesus could also have very well said, you cannot serve both God and your own sense of comfort. You cannot serve God and your privilege. You cannot serve both God and power or the need to be in control. Or even more appropriate lately, you cannot serve God and racism. You cannot serve God and white supremacy. You cannot serve God and any force of evil. You cannot serve opposing forces. You must give yourself completely to God. The end of Jesus' teaching frames what this looks like. Desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Serving God means our primary and foremost desire is to live according to the ways of God's realm. This is the righteousness of God. It is the presence of justice and peace for all people. It is a world that is completely engulfed with love for God and love for our neighbors. It is an ethic, as Mita Stamper puts it, based on abundance and not scarcity and on care for all people and not just a privileged few. This is what life with God is all about. So when Jesus tells us not to worry, it is not an empty platitude. It is also not removed from the very real experiences and struggles of life in the midst of turmoil and chaos. Remember, Jesus himself was immersed in the chaos alongside us when he gave this teaching. He experienced turmoil and grief and anger and poverty. This is not a platitude or good advice. This is the good news of the gospel. This is an invitation to have our worries and our anxiety cast in a new light and replaced with something else. Trust in God and concern for carrying out God's righteousness out in the world. In God's realm, our worries are reshaped and transformed. Our priorities are shifted and we are free from being consumed by things that are not worth our time, our efforts, or our well-beings. We are free to be who we are, God's children, made in God's image, called to be agents of God's justice, reconciliation, peace, and hope out in the world. And by grace, God grants us the freedom and ability to embrace this, first and foremost. This is what we should really worry about. The rest is not worth the trouble. Desiring God's realm and righteousness means we are also intentional with our thoughts and actions. Actions such as serving the most needy and vulnerable in our midst. Thoughts and postures such as listening and learning and sharing experiences with people who are different from ourselves in order to reshape our perspectives. It means being available more and more to see and experience God in unexpected places, overcoming the artificial divides that we put up as human beings. It's about us fully realizing what Howard Thurman says, all human beings belong to each other, and anyone who shuts themselves away diminishes themselves 
And anyone who shuts another away destroys themselves. It's as many have been saying lately, we are all in this together. Our well-being is tied up in the well-being of others. I'd like to tell you about another time recently where I was worried and I made an attempt to experience some of these things. And I share this not to toot my own horn or try to prove to you how great I am. That is not my intention. I just hope it might encourage you. Lisa and I decided to be in a march in a protest about a week or so ago. Admittedly, this was also my first time being a part of something like this and of this magnitude. We, of course, had been following the events of the week and felt we wanted to do something and act in some way. But we also had many concerns and hesitations. COVID, social distancing, videos of violent and aggressive police response towards protesters. How do we know which protest has the right intentions and that it won't turn violent? Luckily, there was an invitation from a clergy group here in Richmond calling for a time of prayer a block away from the Lee Monument and then going and joining other protesters as they marched later that evening. We felt this was our best bet and that it was now or never, so we decided to join alongside others from Second, from Union Seminary, and other Richmond churches. After the time of prayer, we walked over to Monroe Park to join the larger march. The whole time, of course, I'm worrying probably more than I ever have my entire life. I'm on edge. I'm just waiting for something bad to happen. We hear from the organizer of the larger group that we're going to march to a police precinct. My worry level jumps even higher. And it wasn't just me, our whole cohort of second and union folks. We were all getting more nervous. We're not sure if this is the best idea or not, but we're here and we're committed. And so we decide to at least walk that way with everyone else, maybe linger for a minute or two and then make our way back to our cars. It turns out the police precinct we were going to was a mile and a half away back towards the north side of town. We marched all the way from Monroe Park down Belvedere across Broad, over 95, and down Chamberlain Avenue. It was a long march, or at least it felt that way. And when we got there, everyone immediately began to kneel in the middle of the street and observe a few minutes of silence to honor the memory of George Floyd and so many others who have been killed. So wanting to respect the reverence of the moment, we stayed longer than we had planned, and we slipped away later before everyone else dispersed. Again, I was so worried and on edge the entire time. I looked around us as we walked the streets. I looked down Franklin and saw a police blockade with an armored vehicle. I was flanked by yells and chants of the other protesters around me expressing their angers and frustrations. I watched the cars stopped in the road to make sure someone didn't get the idea to intervene with their vehicle as someone so tragically did the other day. I was making sure Lisa and I stayed together as we moved with the crowd. And you know what? We made it out okay. No one got hurt, at least that we saw. Everyone looked out for each other. 95% of the protesters had masks on and kept their distance. Bicyclists and skateboarders blocked traffic at intersections to make sure we were protected. There were even police cars that helped in some spots. 
And all along the way, we heard car horns and yells of support, especially from black drivers. We kept it peaceful, but still passionate and determined. And we all stood together as a body of people seeking justice for those needlessly killed. Speaking personally, my perspective was changed. My worries were transformed. The thought kept occurring to me all along the way. If I'm worried about this, what must it be like for those who worry their whole lives every time they see a cop car pull up behind them or start following them as they are walking down the street on a normal day? I will never know that perspective, but that thought kept my feet moving forward and my resolve determined. Again, I'm not trying to make myself look good or righteous. It's also worth stressing that there are plenty of other uh, valid and important ways to speak out and work for justice. But I wanted to share with you how I experienced transformation in God's holy space, even in the midst of that protest. And even though I worried for Lisa and I's safety as we marched, I came to the conclusion that I had to march because I have had a greater worry that's been hanging over my head for quite some time. I worry about the future that my kids and grandkids will grow into. I worry about the kind of world they'll be inheriting from me and the generations before them. I worry about the role the church will play and how it will step up in the years to come to proclaim the good news that is available for all people everywhere. Will the church step up and be who God calls us to be? Or will we still insist, as Dr. King said, on trying to keep a peace that is merely the absence of tension and not the true presence of God's restorative and all-encompassing justice. But the good news is this, and it's true for you as much as it is for me. My worry is not the end of me. It does not define me. I told you at the beginning that I'm a natural worrier, but that's not really who I am. I am God's child. My hope is in the one who has called me by name from the beginning. And by God's grace, my worries can be shaped and molded by the reality of God's love and justice made known fully on earth as it is in heaven. When my focus is shifted towards this, first and foremost, my worries are brought into perspective. It doesn't mean I suddenly stop worrying, but my trust in God becomes far greater than my worry could ever be. And so I maintain hope despite it all. In the coming days ahead, I hope you'll be encouraged to do the same. It's an understatement to say this is a challenging time, of course. There is so much to worry about still. But hear me when I say this, Second Presbyterian. You all have been doing a great job so far. I've said this several times, my letters, emails, conversations with you, but it's worth saying again. From day one, you have impressed me greatly with your commitment to mission and justice in the city of Richmond and beyond. You take seriously the call to know Christ and make Christ known through your life together as a community and the mission you carry out, especially with so many relationships and partnerships uh, with organizations across the city. You are passionate and kind, challenging and loving, and are consistently thoughtful and reflective about the ways God is calling you all to move. It's been a pleasure and a privilege following Christ alongside you. Don't stop doing what you're doing. Keep going 
Keep striving to be the faithful people God has called you to be. The city of Richmond and the world needs your witness. As we part ways to both go do so, I pray that we will all experience our worries transformed by the astounding and provocative grace of God. May we all worry less and less about the things that are ultimately not worth our time and instead worry about the things that are worth all of our moments and days. Loving our neighbors, carrying out justice, speaking grace and forgiveness to our enemies, proclaiming hope and good news to the brokenhearted, walking humbly with God. If I could rewrite the fish's song, it might go something like this. Don't worry, trust God. But even when you do worry, let your worries be transformed. God's kingdom is at hand. The rest will fall into place. May it be so.